Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, we're continuing in this topical series, which I never do. (laughs) Um, Before this month, I believe I've probably preached four topical sermons in four years. One was Reformation Day a couple of years ago, celebrating 500 years since Martin Luther uh, nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of Wittenberg, preached upon the five solos of the Reformation. And then the other time was four years ago, probably around this month, whenever we went through some of the same topics, uh, just kind of laying out a vision for what Redeemer Baptist Church was supposed to be. And we're looking at even some of the same texts as we looked at back then. Not all the same, because I've grown, and we don't have quite the same context. So tonight we're going to be looking at how we communicate the gospel to those who have not heard. Uh, and, And this is continuing to follow through what what we have as, as a, a kind of a mission statement for Redeemer Baptist Church. We, we already looked at how we, we seek to worship God in biblical simplicity. We want to do things the way the Bible tells us to do them. We, we don't want to, to go off on our own and try to invent new ways to worship because that's idolatry. And we want to be biblical not just a preacher who gets up and shares whatever's on his mind, which that's one of the dangers of topical preaching, which I'm doing tonight, but which is why I don't do it very often. <laughs> but we want to dig deep into the Scripture. And last week we looked at how we want to serve our community by meeting tangible needs. We don't want to be like The one that James talks about that says just be warm and be filled. But then we go and we don't actually meet their need. We want to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, which is the second commandment. Not the second of the Ten Commandments, but the second greatest commandment Jesus talked about. Tonight we're looking at how we want to communicate the gospel to those who have not heard. And the very first passage that we should look at as we consider this is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 28. It will be on the screen, but I love to hear the rustling of pages, so indulge me. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And uh, we'll go ahead and begin with reading the Scriptures. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go... Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, we thank You that Jesus is with us right now. And He will be until the end of the age when He comes in all of His glory. Father, we pray that You would help us to understand what it means to communicate the Gospel to those who have not heard. Lord, I pray that You would give us a passion for doing so. And Father, I pray that You would just give us ears to hear and eyes to see what Your Word says about these things. Lord, give me grace as I preach Your Word and give me strength. In Jesus' name, Amen. If, if we're going to have a mission as Redeemer Baptist Church, then that mission better be the mission that Jesus gave us, right? <laughs> right? And this is the Great Commission passage. When, when He was with His disciples there, before He was ascended into heaven, He gave them these instructions. He told His disciples that they were to go into all the world, right? They were to, to go to every nation and, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Um, and I'm saying that this passage is about evangelism. Some people look at this text and think, well, this is about discipleship, right? And we haven't been doing discipleship. Well, it's about both. And, and I would say that sometimes we've tended in our minds to separate the two when they're not separated. We think of evangelism, well, that's getting somebody to become a Christian, and discipleship is teaching them, right? When I think it's actually biblically all one process, all one whole. Look at His command. It's make disciples. How are you going to do that? Well, by preaching the Gospel. Okay? You don't make a disciple out of someone who's not yet a Christian. You don't, you don't baptize somebody who's not yet a Christian. We're, we're Baptists. Cool. So we ought to hear, uh, at least, not everybody is necessarily a member of a Baptist church, but this is a Baptist church. <laughs> right? So we ought to hear a lot of amens when I say we don't baptize somebody who's not a Christian. Right? And, and, and in fact, the, one of the arguments of Baptist churches from church history is to look at the Great Commission. The order that's given here. First, you make disciples, and then you baptize them. Isn't that the order that we see here? All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing who? Them. Well, what, who's them? The disciples that have already been made. Okay? So, when we preach the Gospel and people listen to it and they hear and they believe, they're already made a disciple. There's not, well, here's a Christian and then here's a disciple. No! Well, we may be good or bad disciples. We may be better or worse at actually following in obedience... But when someone hears the gospel and believes, they're a disciple. 
And He tells us, what are we to do? We're to baptize them. If somebody professes faith in Jesus, the very first step of obedience then is, let's get some water. (laughs) We've done this for three persons here in this church. We did it outside on the, in the yard. Had a big horse tank. Actually, it wasn't all that big. Made it an event so that everybody in the neighborhood could see us as we went by because we want people to see God's at work here. Baptizing and teaching. Our job isn't done when someone becomes a Christian. Our job, just because they believe, doesn't mean that we're done with the, with, with the assignment. Everybody who believes is then our job as a church, not just the pastor, but the church, to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. So much emphasis in the past has often been on getting a person to pray a prayer and then leave them. Right? But the job of making disciples isn't just leading them through a sinner's prayer and then good luck. But it's teaching them all that I've commanded you. Right? Making disciples, preaching the gospel to those who have not heard is, doesn't end as soon as they become a Christian, as soon as their eyes are open. But it also includes teaching them those things in the Bible that they're not yet familiar with. And that's really something that's good for all of us. So while our mission says proclaim, you know, communicating the gospel to those who have not heard, yeah, the first thing that comes to our mind is those on the outside who haven't even, even become Christians. But I think it also applies as we think of ourselves. We are communicating the gospel in ways that preaches to our own souls, that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us and helps us to grow in holiness and in Christ-likeness and in assurance. Maybe that's a different way of looking at evangelism. We are communicating the gospel to those who have not heard. And the very first basis for why this should be part of the mission of Redeemer Baptist Church is the fact that it is Jesus' command for us to do. Go make disciples of all nations. Notice, of all nations. I don't want to pass over that word either. Of all nations. A nation in that language, okay, is the word ethnos. Sound familiar? Ethnic, right? So they don't think of a nation state. When they thought of nations, when when Jesus was saying, make disciples of all nations, he wasn't talking about the United States and Russia, and Germany, and England. He wasn't talking about those kinds of nations. He was talking about ethnic groups. He was talking about people groups. People who are of different languages, of different backgrounds. And a church, 
A church should be making disciples of all kinds of people. The poor and those with more means. Black, white, Asian, olive-colored skin. We make disciples of all nations, loving one another. Anyone who becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ is our brother and our sister. Regardless of what ethnicity, ethnos, that they come from. And then finally, this is a work we can't do on our own. Jesus gives us these encouraging words at the end of the Great Commission. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can look at the world and how bad it is and think there's no way we can accomplish this mission. There's no way we could make disciples of all nations. But Jesus can. Tell that to the early disciples, right? The ones that were there with Him. This is such a daunting task. There's only maybe 500 of us at this point. And how many Christians are there in the world now? At least just professing Christians. I'm not going to judge anybody's heart. We can look at the world and think, oh, this is such a daunting task. But Jesus is with us always. We can look not only at the world, we can look at Panama and think, man, this is a tough sell. This is a hard ground. How in the world are we going to plant a church that's going to be sustained? We got to remember, Jesus is with us always, even unto the end of the age. This job can't be done by ourselves. We've got to have Jesus with us if this is going to ever get off the ground. Next text. Okay, we said we're going to communicate the gospel to those who have not heard. It brings up the question, what's the gospel? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the first 11 verses. That's, that's, that's a good question. What is the Gospel? Because if you ask ten different people out on the street that haven't actually studied this, that haven't actually, um, you know... If you just ask ten different people, even people who've gone to church, you're going to probably get about 20 different answers. Right? What is the Gospel? Well, Paul gives just about the... What, what you might find as, as the best definition of the Gospel in the New Testament. Right here. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which, I rece- which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay? He's saying, I'm reminding you of the Gospel. It's what I received, and I'm passing it on to you. It's content, and it doesn't change from one person to the next. I'm passing it on faithfully, is what Paul said. 
I would remind you that of what I preached to you, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And, and here comes the definition of the gospel. The definition of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, that He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, to all the apostles. Lastly, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. Okay, that's a lot. Can we break it down a little bit? That Christ died for our sins. Christ. Okay, we're going to take that word. What, who is, what, when we, we, we hear the word Christ, and we automatically understand, okay, that's Jesus, right? But Christ is a word that has a lot of theological meaning coming from the Old Testament. Christ is the Greek word for the Old Testament term, Messiah. Right? So, not just that Jesus died for our sins, but the Messiah, the one who was predicted in the Old Testament. The one who was predicted back in Genesis chapter 3, who would be the seed of the woman who was going to crush the serpent's head. Right? The one who was predicted by Isaiah, who said... Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she'll give birth to a, a child, and you'll, you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The one who David prom- was promised that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever. That Messiah. Okay? So, that Christ, that's Jesus, who was the son of David, who was the one who was born of a virgin who was the seed of the woman who came, who crushed the serpent's head, that Christ died. He gave up His life. He he gave up the ghost, as one of the Gospels says. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, Jesus said as He died upon the cross. He died for our sins. The word for there is, is transactional. He died instead of, he, He died in the place of our sins. Our sins, the Bible tells us, the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve God's wrath and punishment. We deserve hell. And Christ died for our sins. He paid for our sins. So Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. When he says, in accordance with the Scriptures, again, that reminds us, this isn't just something that dropped out of nowhere. This is something that God had been planning all along from that passage in Genesis chapter 3 that I already referred to, through the book of Genesis, through the, 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 the Levitical laws about sacrifice that was pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice when the Lamb of God would be slain according to the Scriptures. This was God's plan all from the very beginning that it would happen this way. So, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried. He was really dead. You don't bury somebody who passes out. But He was buried and He was raised 
He was really dead. And He was raised. He's physically, bodily raised. Okay? you got liberal theologians who will say, well, the resurrection was more of kind of a, a spiritual resurrection where, where uh, you know, His disciples became aware of who He was and they began to teach. And Jesus just lived on in the teaching of His disciples. Bull! <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus literally, physically rose from the dead. Don't start saying I'm the cussing preacher. (laughs) Don't worry, Josh. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm blushing. Okay. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He's pointing back again. This is what the, 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 the prophet said was going to happen. He was raised according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. Okay, He, he lists off all these different people that he appeared to. Cephas, he appeared to James, he appeared to 500 people, and last of all, to me. Right? Okay, so this is saying, it's really happened. There were eyewitnesses. This is not just some figment of our imagination. There were eyewitnesses who really saw him. And he says, you know, if you don't believe it, in the day that this was written, okay, he's not saying we can go around and find somebody that saw it happen. But in the day that this was written, Paul was saying, you know, you Corinthians, if you don't believe it, you can go to Jerusalem and find somebody who was there and saw it. Right? Some of who have not yet fallen asleep. Jesus really physically rose from the dead. The Gospel is about an event that happened in real space and time in history. It's not just some philosophy that tells you how to be a better person. The Gospel is that the Christ, the One who God promised from the very first sinners in Genesis 3, the, 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 the Messiah came that He died for our sins to take our punishment that we deserve and that He rose again beating death and hell so that we don't have to go there. That's the Gospel. Which brings us to our next thing. The Gospel is the power to save. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. I won't spend as much time on this one. I think this goes along with the end of the Great Commission when Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always. We can't do this on our own. Jesus is here with us. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wasn't ashamed. But he says, the Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We can't do this on our own. Again, I'm saying the same thing I said before. We can't do this on our own. So what do we do? We preach the Gospel. The power is in the Gospel. Yeah, we want to serve our community by meeting tangible needs. And that's great. 
that may win us a hearing. But it's not going to save people. People are going to get saved when they hear the Gospel and they believe it. Not everybody's going to believe. But if they don't hear it, nobody's going to get saved. Which leads us to Romans chapter 10. Verses 14 through 17. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The logic of this passage is that those who have not yet heard the gospel, that's part of our mission. We want to communicate the gospel to those who have not heard. Those who have not yet heard the gospel are lost. They're dying in their sin apart from Christ and headed for hell. How are they going to be able to call upon the Lord and be saved? Paul answers, how will they call upon Him in whom they believed? They've got to hear a preacher. They have a preacher. They've got to have someone send them. And I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean a preacher. A paid preacher on staff. That means every one of us who names Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That means all believers who are called to the mission of evangelism. It's our duty because we live around people who are spiritually dead, who are in their sins, who are lost and dying and have no hope and are without God in this world. And they need to hear the message that Jesus has come, that He died for our sins, and if they will repent of their sins and trust in Him, they can be saved. And they don't have to clean themselves up first. They just throw themselves on Him. That's good news. That's the Gospel. The power is in the Gospel. We just communicate it. We just communicate it. And God does with it what He wants to do. He wakens people from the dead when we speak. Also in Romans chapter 15. Verses 20 through 21. What was Paul's goal? And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's goal was not to go to those who have already heard. He was was a missionary. 
He was an evangelist. Paul's missionary strategy would be he would go, he would preach the gospel, he'd stay just long enough so that he could put together uh, some people who were mature enough to be able to do the leadership and then they'd leave the leaders behind so that they could set all things in order like we see in Titus. Paul says to Titus, I left you in, I think it was Athens or Ephesus, one or the other, so that you might set all things in order. Or was it Crete? I think it was Crete. Leave all things, set all things in order. Our mission should be to proclaim the gospel to those who have not heard, those who have, are lost and dying without... Because... <laughs> Paul says... His ambition is not to name it where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You know, most church growth in America is typically transfer growth, going from one church to another, right? Now, there's a place for that. Sometimes you've got unhealthy churches that people need to leave. But at the same time, our mission, our goal, should not be to try to make it the most popular place for Christians to come and gather. But our goal should be to go out and reach those who are not yet worshiping the one true and living God. That we might see life change. Again, that's something we can't do. But only Jesus can do. Only can be done through the Gospel. We've got two more texts to look at. Ezekiel. It's the passage that uh, Mike read from. I, I'm not even going to turn there, but if you want to, it's in Ezekiel 3, 16-21. Um, Mike already read the passage. We've heard it. Um, just coming from memory. Basically, The, the watchman was given, and Ezekiel, that was Ezekiel, he was given the responsibility of proclaiming the message, and he, he was told, if the wicked man dies in his wickedness and you don't warn him, his blood's on your hands. But if you warn him, and he doesn't obey, then you've done your job, and you're not guilty. Okay? I think that's kind of how we need to think in a way. In a way. I, I, it can be dangerous to, to lean too heavily on that because remember, we're not saved by our works either. But it helps us to remember we are responsible to give out the warning. We don't want to have the blood of other people on our hands because we didn't tell them the truth. We didn't communicate the Gospel when we had the opportunity to do so. I don't want to use this as a bludgeon to heap guilt upon people. And it could be heard that way. We don't want to be motivated by guilt. We want to be motivated because we love God so much. 
We want to be motivated because we are just consumed with the fact that Jesus died for us. But there is scriptural teaching that we want to hear that I think is applicable in this case. When we have the responsibility and the opportunity to share the Gospel, we need to remember Ezekiel. Finally, in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 27. And this was when Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And he gave them a charge, told them to be leery of uh, false teachers who would come in and disrupt the flock. One of the things he said here was verses 25 through 27 it says, These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. And, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. Sorry. <laughs> I'll back up. Verse 19. Um, I'll go ahead and halfway through verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem strained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Oh, I started too early. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only that I might finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That last part was what I was trying to get to. <laughs> Paul seems to be referring back to the Ezekiel passage. Paul said, I am innocent of the blood of all because I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. That's my responsibility as a pastor, as a preacher, to preach the whole counsel of God. It's one reason why I usually preach through books. It keeps me from just getting on my favorite topics to talk about. But it's also all of our responsibility to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim all of what Jesus commanded us. Back to the Great Commission. It's not just the gospel when we first come in and become Christians. The Great Commission tells us to teach them everything that I have commanded you. Paul did so by Proclaiming the whole counsel of God. All of Scripture. 
So, there could be more that's said. I've just looked at a few texts that I think support this part of our mission. Redeemer Baptist Church seeks to worship God in biblical simplicity. We want to be faithful to the Bible. We want to do things in the biblical way. We want to worship in a way that listens to what God is saying and not just following after what some guy thinks. We want to serve our community by meeting tangible needs. We want to follow the second greatest commandment and love our neighbor as ourself. And we want to communicate the gospel to those who have not heard. It was Jesus' mission for his disciples, and it's our mission. With all of that said, I've alluded to this already. I don't want to use this as some kind of a guilt. Yes, we've been commanded to do this. But we're not saved by how many people we share Jesus with. We don't get extra points in heaven because, you know, we signed a check, checked a box every week saying, I shared my faith this week on our offering envelope. We're saved the same way that people are that hear the gospel that we proclaim. We're saved by faith, we're saved by resting in the gospel. gospel that is presented in the song we're going to close with. Holy God in love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross He took my sin and by His death I live again. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.